guys? It's Michael from The Honest Youth Pastor back with another sermon review this week. Uh, this week, we're going to cover Matt Chandler's sermon. Um, this is from a couple weeks back, actually during uh, Martin Luther King, that the weekend, Martin Luther King weekend. Um, he preached this sermon. And one of the reasons we're covering this is, and the reason we're covering an older sermon is because someone sent it in and said, hey, you've talked about Matt Chandler before and how you, you know, how you appreciate his preaching. Is this sermon problematic to you or not? So we're going to take a look at it because... Uh, looking around the interwebs, uh, this sermon got a little bit uh, of feedback from it, more so than a lot of the other ones. This one's actually called Ethnic Harmony. Uh, it was preached, or oh, sorry, it was uploaded January 19th of 2021 and currently has 8,392 views uh, on the Village Church uh, YouTube page. Uh, if you, as uh, with all the other videos we've talked about before, if you're interested in in watching this video without my commentary link will be in the description um, and yeah it's there for you so like on all of these videos uh, even though obviously someone sent this and said hey what do you think about this like with all the videos this is to look at and say hey you know what's red flags what's good about it are we looking at the text exegetically are there other things that we're bringing in um, you know is, is it a well done sermon is it a not a well done sermon what can we gain from it now from the go before we even get into it right uh, obviously just so that you know, it, we're clear. Um, I've done a couple podcasts uh, on my other podcast, uh, the Babbling Pastors podcast, uh, where me and my friend Rob we covered uh, Matt Chandler and Jeff Vanderstelt uh, as like good examples of preaching and what that looks like. Um, now, uh, because of how a lot of my schedule is, I haven't really heard a lot of Chandler sermons here recently. I've I, probably the last one I listened to all the way through actually was for that podcast, and that was a year ago now. Uh, that I listened to that. So when I listened to this one, it was kind of like, oh, okay, let's listen to Chandler again. Now, I don't want to give away too much uh, from the get-go here because we want to go through it, but there's going to be things that we look at. Obviously, it's called Ethnic Harmony. Uh, it's on Martin Luther King uh, that weekend, and there's a lot of stuff in case you've been living, living, living under a rock uh, that's been going on within society, especially this last year, that has to do with ethnicity and race and things like that. So obviously this is going to be a little bit of a hot button uh, sermon anyway, which he's going to note. So I don't want to give too much of it away, uh, but we want to look at it. Like I said, this is sort of a, I like to cover the most recent sermon, but somebody sent this, so we'll get into it because I've cut, made a couple of memes and things like that that cover topics that he touches on. So let's look at it and see what we got. Let's jump in be used by God in conjunction with you belonging to a local church uh, to grow you and sanctify. Also, real quick, Matt Chandler talks super duper fast anyway, just so you know. This sermon is about 45 minutes at normal speed. I have this at 1.5 speed um, in order to get through it quickly, like on every other sermon review we do. There are going to be parts um, that it might be a little difficult to understand what he's saying. Uh, I've listened to it. I think this will be like the fourth time. So I, I know what he's saying. Uh, but again, if it's one of those things where you're like, I didn't, I don't know what, like, ah, you can watch it at normal speed in the link description below to the original video. But in order to get through it in a timely manner, we're going to have to speed it up. So, uh, cause this video review is probably going to be about an hour long anyway. So buckle up. <laughs> you in your faith. If these resources bless you, would you consider giving back to us here at TBC? You can do that either through the app or you can go online to TBC resources uh, and give there. Again, pray that this blesses you and grows you in your love for Jesus Christ. Okay, real quick. Th this little uh, in intro, I suppose you want to say, is at the beginning of every um, 
of Sermon as far as as far as back as I can remember watching Chandler. That's been a long time. Uh, the cool thing about this is what they've always noted is that they call it a supplement. This is a supplement to your normal going to church, right? So this should not be, and they make it very obvious, this should not be your only uh, church service. This is not your connection to the church. Watching this video is not church. It is a supplement in addition to you actually being part of the local body. So I think that's, for anything else that you do or do not like about Chandler, like I really appreciate that um, because where most churches are trying to, you know, get you to view online, you're part of the body, you know, eFam or whatever. Um, the village is really purposeful in saying, look, no, this is, this is not, this is not a, you know, this cannot be your only church. So here we go. My name is Stella Cornwell. My husband, JD, and I are members of TVC, and I serve in women's Bible study as a small group leader. This morning we'll be in Galatians 2, verses 11 through 14. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he so condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning. If you have a Bible, I would love for you to turn to that passage. We're going to dive into it. So if you're at home or here in the room, if you've got it on your device and you can be tempted not to look at the scriptures on your device while snapping or tweeting or whatever it is you do on your device, I would encourage you to do that. Here's, I need you to just in your mind and heart right now go, I'm going to hang in there. Uh, what I plan on doing today is trying to kind of tiptoe into enemy-occupied territory, punch the devil in his mouth, uh, and then get out of there. All right? Now, in order to do that, though, you... Okay, I want to say this at the beginning. Whoever's idea, and this isn't just the Village Church, though I don't remember the Village Church always having this. Like I said, it's been a year or more since I've listened to a Chandler sermon, but um, apparently they've installed these since. I don't know whose idea it was, right? Elevation, Elevation has this. A lot of the services that I, like a lot of the sermons I review have this now. They've mic'd the audience. Like they have directional mics heading into the front row so you can hear everything these people say. Um, I get it's probably be like, hey, you can feel the environment. It's like you're here. It's just really distracting. But that's just me. But like, whoever's idea that was, it's just like not a great idea. Okay. And that has nothing to do with the sermon. All right. That is just me complaining to you. But anyway, let's get to it. You've got to be aware that there's some stuff that's going to start happening in the room. And I'm not, I'm not talking about somebody screeching or anything like that, but that would be awesome. Uh, we'll drive that thing out. But, uh, but I'm saying I'm going to touch on sacred things to the enemy. And in so doing, anything in us that might not be aligned um, is, is going to muddle up. And so I'm just, just hanging there with me. That's, that's all I'm asking. Now, uh, like I said in the intro, on February 7th, we start 12 weeks through the book of Revelation. Uh, I'm excited about that study. Now, keep in mind, 12 weeks means it's a survey. It, we're going to fly over it. It's not line-by-line exposition because uh, Revelation is uh, apocalyptic literature. Uh, and what I mean by that is it's going to be really hard to go line-by-line. You've got to tell the whole story. You've got to show the entire picture of what John saw in order to unpack it. But there's been something that's been going on in me uh, as I've studied Revelation and got prepared to start preaching it to you in two weeks on February 7th. The, the first thing was watching the people of God in that day that received that book. I don't know if you know this. I'm not preaching Revelation, by the way, but uh, I don't know if you know, but Revelation wasn't ultimately written for you. There was a people on earth that received that letter and read it because, follow me, it was for them. That doesn't mean it doesn't have much to say to us, but it was for them. And so one thing, and again, this is, this is more of a preface to what we're getting into. And really, I want, I want you to be understand, like I want to be as transparent as possible in the reviews. Uh, 
as far as like where I like I go into them with this presupposition. There's a lot of there, there's a, been a couple of them that I've went in and I didn't have a clue who this person was and therefore I kind of just had to listen. Uh, but just so you know, transparency wise from the beginning, I've been a Chandler, uh, I guess fan. I don't know if you want to call it fan. I appreciate his, his style of preaching. Let's put it that way. And one of the things that I appreciate is that like he unpacks a lot of this stuff and again, I know this isn't unpacking a ton, but it is just kind of laying out in front of his congregation. Hey, by the way, we're going to look at this. This isn't directed towards you. Like it was written to these people specifically for them. We get to take from that. Um, I know that doesn't seem like a big deal to some people, but for some people it is a big deal because like you read it and you're like, this is about me actually. Well, this shows about God's character and what God did in the past and kind of what God, uh, how he operates and what he does do. Right. Um, but anyway, that's just a little thing that I appreciate about pastors, not just Chandler, but pastors that will, will kind of just put it all on the table and be like, Hey, we're going to look at this. But so you understand this is kind of the context this is what, um, what, you know, the angle we're taking at it, um, which I think is important if we're as, as pastors, when we get in front of a, a congregation to, to preach the word, we kind of lay our cards on the table so that they understand where we're coming from. Um, and, and the, the background in this study we've done. So again, you could call that methodology, but I think it's, it's, it's nice to let the congregants know, Hey, this is kind of the angle I'm coming at this from. And again, he's not preaching on that now. That's just something to pick up. And as I dug into the historicity of that and started to look at how God was working, what he was accomplishing there among the people of God in the first century under such horrific, horrific persecution, it started to stir up my heart. And I started to say these kinds of sentences to you. We were built for this, this moment. Like with all the anger and all the frustration and all the sadness and despair and all the, like this is our time. This is when the church is the church. This is when the light of Christ shines most brightly. I mean, the, everybody you know is watching the same thing you're watching and it's disorienting and it's frustrating. And if we're honest, it's gonna be enraging. Anyone felt any of those emotions in the last little bit? Well, and you've got the love of Christ in you. Okay, so here's the thing. Um, there's been a couple, I haven't watched. So when I said I haven't watched any Chandler sermons all the way through, I haven't watched all the Chandler sermons all the way through. I've seen bits and pieces on the internet. So there's two things here. And I, I just want you to kind of understand like how I'm coming at this sermon. So whenever uh, the Black Lives Matter um, protest riots were happening during the summer, um, Chandler addressed that pretty strongly. They're like There was some viral clips that happened out of that sermon uh, where like little clips were. And then when the Capitol siege, the siege on the Capitol happened, uh, there was a clip that went viral of him too. Now, I would advise you, like, just so you understand, like, where he's coming at from these, I'll try to find those and link them. Hopefully, I'll put those in there for you. But the idea here is to understand that as pastors, we need to come at things, I, I guess uh, I would say balanced, right? So as pastors, we need to set the Bible before the people and come at situations in, in a balanced way. Now, just so you know, transparency's sake, I did not watch those full sermons, so I do not know the context of the clips. But the clips that I saw where he addressed uh, both of those instances, um, they weren't really balanced. He was coming at them from a particular angle in both points uh, and was very obviously, um, I, I don't know, like you could just tell what kind of position he was taking on on both of those things um and again that's neither here nor there but i need you to understand that because he's going to say some things here in a minute that reference back to his statements on blm and his statements about the capital uh, and what happened on january 6th right so you need to under at least understand that because what he's about to say 
um, he's pointing back to those instances. So I'm going to try to link those clips if you want to watch those. Um, but that's kind of, this is what he's, he's referencing when he's, when he says what he's about to say here in a couple minutes. Imagine those who are outside, right? And, and so this is our moment. If we'll step into it now. Um, I, so I've got this thing going on. I'm just so expecting what a great opportunity sitting right in front of us. But here, here's my word. It's going to be dangerous to get there. In fact, to shine brightly, you're going to have to go through the darkness yourself. You're going to have to navigate the darkness yourself. And I'm not, I'm not saying the Holy Spirit in our God, he's totally our God, but, but that means we've got to be serious about the darkness that might remain in us. And, and so I'm, I'm going to stick a little closer to my notes here because I've, I've, I've worked hard to be careful today. <laughs> to, to get there, to this place that we want to get, we're going to have to face disorientation, disappointment, and heartbreak. But what a thing to arrive at our generational destiny together. Do you know what I mean by generational destiny? Like the church has never got to choose the time in which she operated. But the time in which we operate has some specific things that are tripping up the world and tripping up the church. And so what I mean is that God is accomplishing something in our day for what's behind us. Maybe there's nothing behind us. Maybe Christ returned and, and all this worry about our children and grandchildren is, is a moot point because Christ has returned. But if he is not, he is preparing them with us now. And so maybe our only role is to push the ball forward so that our kids and grandkids can live out a more full picture of the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ in the next world. And I mean not, re, you know, remade heaven and earth. I mean the world that they inherit, which by the way, if you're looking at the horizon, looks rough. Okay, so a couple things here. And I think, I know I've done this before. Um, and it's a temptation for a lot of people that, for example, that are in front of people that preach sermons. Um, we get to this point where we forget about <laughs> everybody that's come before us, right? Now, what he's saying is that, um, I mean, to really sum it up in, in the sense that, you know, what's happening in our culture now and how we react to it is going to set up our children and the next generation for how they live the, you know, how they live their life. Now he attaches that to the gospel and says, so, you know, how they're going to live out a fuller picture of what, you know, the gospel looks like and how it interacts with their lives, learning from us from this experience right now. And then he's worried about the future. But if you talk to people, and I think this, again, I, I've referenced this in uh, sermon reviews in the past, but even the Judah Smith sermon review that I did where he was like, this is generation. You guys are getting prepared for it. Like we hear a lot of that talk and not that that's untrue. Like, you know, God's going to use every generation in every generation. Um, but I know like if you talk to my parents or my parents' parents, like they were going through things where they were like, man, the future, I don't know what that's going to look like. Right. So my grandparents, uh, when you're talking about World War II, like they're thinking, I don't know what the world's going to look like. Right. Uh, when you're talking to, to my parents, they were thinking about, you know, Russia and American bombs and nuclear. Like they were just thinking, I don't know what the world's going to look like. Right. So now we're doing the same thing. We're going, man, all of this stuff that's going on. I don't know what the world's going to look like. So I think every generation faces this. And sometimes as pastors under the, the, the pressure and the chaos that's going on around us, we can also get into this idea that, oh no, I don't know what's going to happen. So the truth is like, it could be rough, but we also have to acknowledge like every generation before us thought that same thing. Right. And that's where we anchor back to the gospel and we go, look, yeah, everything's chaotic, but God's in control. He's working in us and through us as believers to bring forth his good purpose and his good plan and his glory of his name. Right. So it's going to get a little rough, but we have confidence and hope in Jesus. Um, I think we need to remember that, that like, you know, even before my grandparents' generation, there was another generation that was like, what are we going to do? It's the great depression. Like, you know, it's just, there's always something happening because we live in a broken world. So sometimes we get so caught up in our moment, then we forget that, I think. And I, I've seen a lot of this, the, the sermons that I've listened to, they're like, I don't know what's happening. Um, so we should be concerned, but I think sometimes we just really anchor in the disparity more than we do in the hope of who Jesus is. 
Um, and that's not to negate like the fact that it's, you know, kind of rough sometimes. Um, but I think we overemphasize that uh, occasionally. It looks rough. So with that said, I, um, I think when we're looking at the world, we, we can see it being what it's supposed to be. We talked about this idea of plausibility structures. It's so huge for us to kind of stay on this idea. Plausibility structure is just what seems right to you. That's all it is. So if you've got like, you, you call it intuition or like you're just drawn to a certain set of facts that you'll go, yeah, that's true. I don't know if you've noticed that about yourself. It's called a plausibility structure. It's been shaped and formed by a thousand different streams that you may or may not know you've even drank from. Everybody has one, every culture has one. Everywhere you go in the world, there are different value propositions uh, given to certain things and everybody has one, right? It's called a plausibility structure. Well, a couple of weeks ago, here's what we said that the Bible's asking us to be. An altogether different plausibility structure so that when the world is falling apart, we become an alternate reality that all of a sudden is possible. Okay, so remember that. Okay, so he said that fairly early in the sermon here. I mean, we're only seven minutes in, but this is an important point to remember for later. Okay, so what he's saying is that they've been talking about the fact that uh, when we all have this shared experience, Christians react differently because of the spirit we have in us, because of the teaching of Jesus, because we follow him. We react different and therefore uh, are, you know, are, are definitely like he's about to go. I think it's either now or shortly after this into this example of like, we think different. We spend our money different. We love different. We do justice different. Like, so just keep that in mind early on that he, what he's saying is that when, when, you know, we become this different people. Do you hear what I said? What we do as a group, not just as individuals, but as a group, we love one another a certain way. We live with one another a certain way. We, we uh, put uh, value ads on things according to the word of God, which means we see sex a certain way. We see money a certain way. We see power a certain way. We see marriage a certain way. And we live out of that way, empowered by the Holy Spirit, so that when the world is operating in their plausibility structure, they don't even think that's possible. That's archaic. No way anybody lives like that. All of a sudden, here we are. Okay, so remember that. Because this is a really good point, right? So we, I, I don't think anybody would disagree with that. That as believers, we operate differently because of the Holy Spirit working inside of us um, than the rest of the world. So when everything else is falling apart, we do things differently. And light is shining in the darkness. And as you know from the Gospel of John, the darkness will not overcome it. Now, to get there, to, to get us there, and we got to climb this hill, and it, it's laid with all sorts of landmines and barbed wire and machine gun nests, and a lot of us ain't going to make it up the hill. A lot of us going to step on the wrong thing, get blown up. A lot of us going to get wooed away and cut down. But we got to talk about the hill. Um, let, let, me, let me say it this way. I, this thing that I want to discuss with you today that sits in front of us, I, I think it's the most divisive subject I've ever touched on. And, and I think the demonic powers and principalities are around it, that are around it shows you it's a primary strategy of the enemy. Yeah. All right, so I, I don't, you know what weekend it is, so you know where I'm going. It's the subject of race. Now, I want to use the word ethnicity, and let me tell you why. Because race is a social construct. It's not a biblical word. Ethnicity is a biblical word and biblical idea. So I don't want to talk about race. I want to talk about ethnicity. Right? And, and here, I, I used to, when we talk about the subject, I would talk about uh, racial reconciliation. Now, I, I want to tweak that a little bit. It's not that there doesn't need to be reconciliation, but that ultimate reconciliation has already happened in the person work of Jesus. And, and so I don't want to lay before you that we need to do something that Christ has already done for us. In fact, what I want to lay before us is Christ has done this beautiful work that we ought to walk in. Okay, so here's the thing, and I, I, want, I don't mean to interrupt a whole bunch here, because I know we're 20 minutes into this video and we're only 10 minutes into the sermon, but I need you to understand that what he's doing here and what he's going to do for like the next, I don't know, five, 10 minutes is respond to or react to the accusations that have been that he's seen apparently online uh, or on Twitter or in blogs or whatever. I've seen a little bit of that, um, but he he's basically defending himself for the next like five ten minutes on that topic. So just understand like that's what you're about to hear. Um, and again, if you're coming to the sermon, you don't have a clue who Matt Chandler is. Okay, um, you have to understand that. Um, he, he seemed, because of the 
the visibility of his church, and this is kind of the the downside to megachurches. Um, he obviously speaks to people way outside of his church. It's online, so everybody sees it. But just so you understand, he's he's tweaking what he said here. To, I'm assuming to make it more understandable, uh, and then he's about to defend himself from a lot of the stuff apparently that's online. I've seen a, I've seen a few of these things. Um, in fact, uh, the, the person was that wanted me to be like, look at this sermon, uh, has saw those things too. And they said, hey, you, you know, these are the accusations brought against him. This is the sermon. What do you think? So just so you understand, like, that's what he's about to do. Because it's going to sound really weird. Outside of that context, you're going to be like, what is he doing? He's just yelling a lot. <laughs> so um, I just want to prepare you for that. All right, but let, let's talk because I think we've got to clean the air just a little bit. I think we see this clearly. I think in Ephesians chapter one, we see that this is our inheritance. What is the inheritance of the saints? A new humanity put together by the blood of Christ, made up of men and women from every tribe, tongue, and nation on earth. That's been given to the people of God. That, that's it. I mean, read Ephesians one. That's what's been given to us. Ephesians two says that the wall of hostility has been torn down. And although we love to proof text the verse, Ephesians three, where he says that he is able to do far more abundantly beyond what you could ever hope or imagine. It's not talking about your bank account. It's talking about the ability to pull this off. You think the Ephesians church thought this would be easy? You think Jew and Gentile living together after centuries of being told that they were better than the other is easy to pull off? Good God, look around you, it ain't easy to pull off. And yet Paul's saying, but to him who is able. This has been bought by his blood, hostility torn down, the gospel's made away. That, that's the argument of the book of Ephesians before he gets into all the, you know, love your husband, love your wife. Like, that, that's the point of the book. I just think we're blind to it. Now, um, I've already said this, so let me just move here. The plausibility structures of this world are so powerful on this subject that they pull us all, white, black, brown, and every other color off the path of life, off the path of the kingdom, and into the strategies of the enemy. Let me, let me kind of, let's have a little moment to clear the air between the two of us. I first taught this subject Here we go. in 2009. So if you're new to the village church, and you're like, wow, no, I've taught on this every year since 2009, specifically on this weekend, but usually I'll add another one. Now, let me ask you a question. How many of you have been with me 10 years or longer? How many of you pick up on the fact that this is the same sermon every year from a different text? Okay, now keep your hands up, look around. All right, so here's what's wild. 2009, I preach it, and you brace. As a preacher, you gotta brace sometimes, man. Right, like you know, when you gotta tiptoe in, pop, pop him in his mouth and back out. You, you gotta know, like, all right, I'm gonna go for it, and then I'm gonna brace, and, and I'm gonna be misconstrued, I'm gonna be maligned, people are gonna put words in my mouth, but you just gotta step in and preach the truth and, and put your head on your pillow at night thinking you please God. Now, thank you, Deb. Now, when I, when I preach it in 09, here's what happened. Nothing. I mean, y'all were like, thank you. Somebody, finally. It was unreal. I mean, the number of times I've braced and instead got encouragement, I mean, maybe three times in almost 20 years with you. And, and so I, it just emboldened me. And so I preached the next year the same sermon. And something began to happen over the course of the next couple of years. Here's why I'm such a believer in plausibility structures and their power to infect and shape even how the church of Jesus Christ thinks. What was confusing me in the years that, um, that, that followed 2009 was that although the sermon hadn't changed, and I'm not trying to say that I taught perfectly or I don't have regret around this subject because I do. but I started being accused of saying too much and not saying enough at the same time, of co-opting the movement and being out of touch with my context. I was labeled a social justice warrior, accused of no longer preaching the gospel, of getting too political. And this is the one that always bothered me, the number of people that would say to me, we love you, we love this church, we just wish you wouldn't talk about these things. Now, what kind of man would I be if I'm watching culture disintegrate and unwilling to step into the fray and let the word of God bear its weight on it? Like, what kind of man are you? No, I'm being serious. This is costly. This is a costly subject. We have shrank considerably over this. But what kind of... So here's, here's an interesting thing real quick. Again, I don't mean to interrupt it, but I don't want it to go too long. So um, the idea here is that he's saying that, you know, he's lost some membership over this. Some people have left the church over this. Now, I don't know exact. Again, he's being fairly vague here, which is fine because the people that go to his church is technically who he's talking to. Um, so they would, I'm assuming, know what exactly he's saying. But the idea here is that he's saying that 
when things are going on outside of the church, the pastor should address those things in a biblical manner. So I think I've said this in a video before, uh, a sermon review before, but uh, pastors, I know I've said it at some, at, in some point, I just don't know what video it was. It was the idea that a pastor should have the Bible in one hand and the newspaper in the other. So the idea here being that whenever cultural situations happen, you have, um, you have the word of God that you then address those cultural situations with, right? So you're viewing those cultural situations through the lens of the Bible, not the other way around. That would be the hope, right? Is that the pastor is not taking the culture and then applying it to the word of God. Rather, he's taking the word of God and applying it to, uh, to culture and how to, how to view the things that are happening through the lens of the Bible, not vice versa. So apparently what has happened is Chandler has addressed the things going on in culture. Now, I don't know if he's just talking about this year. Uh, he seems to be uh, talking about the last couple years, but the, the idea here is that he's got some pushback on that. Now, here's the thing. I, if you're not a pastor, you might not understand this, but uh, what he was talking about before about bracing for the impact of like the, the, the feedback you're going to get on certain messages is a real thing. Um, the message I just preached this last Sunday, which I'll put up on this channel uh, probably a couple days from now, um, there was a lot of prayer, a lot of stress went into that uh, because I knew some of the things I was going to say would probably step on some toes. Now, the interesting thing about preaching to people that have masks on is you can't even tell facial. Uh, <laughs> you can't tell what, you know, how they're reacting to it. Uh, but there are times when you preach that you go, oh, this is going to be like, ah, I don't know how this is going to be taken. So what he's saying is that, you know, he knew there was going to be pushback. He knew there was going to be feedback from it. Um, but apparently there was a lot of feedback. Uh, people told him not to talk about it. I'm I'm going to assume here he's talking about uh, uh, the BLM stuff, the uh, the race stuff, uh, because that's the, what he's talking about specifically. And on that point, like, here, here's the thing. Um, I think he's right in the sense that, like, you can't just not talk about it. Um, you have to address the things that are going on in the world and give your congregation, as a pastor, you need to give your congregation the lenses in which to view everything that's going on around you through um, and you need to give them biblical lenses to be able to address that. Um, now, that's where the rest of the sermon, we're going to kind of look at that and say, okay, well, specifically with this sermon, what is, what is Matt doing um, in order to, to do that? If I let the crowd dictate to the word of God what is true and what is not true. Like that one's the one that bothers me. I'm no social justice warrior. I do preach the gospel. But to say, don't touch it. What kind of church are we going to be then? Just let the world be the world. Just let the whole freaking thing burn to the ground while we sing our favorite songs. You ain't got that guy. I love you. You ain't, you ain't got that guy. Now, from there, there, there became this now especially ridiculous notion that I'm Marxist or a socialist, and now we've got the boogeyman of critical race theory. Now, I understand these tactics. The enemy has always used them to discredit and malign the truth. See, if we can create a category and jam somebody into it, we don't have to be uncomfortable. If you can create a category and jam somebody into it, then you don't have to listen. You don't have to be challenged. You don't have to be bothered. You're just like, oh, they're that. I mean, tell me that hadn't been around since the beginning of humankind. Oh, they're that. So I, I know these things are important, right? So if we're gonna climb this hill, we gotta clear the air. So let me clear the air. I am not, none of our elders are, none of our staff are socialists nor Marxists. We honestly believe that those two ideologies are demonic and that where nations embrace them, people get murdered. That's what we believe, we believe. And although I do not see capitalism in the Bible as the, you are to do this, I would argue with anyone who studied a little economics, I'm no expert, that it's the best idea humanity has come up with in regards to an economic system. Not perfect, but the best one that we've come up with. So let's clear the air. I'm not a socialist, I'm not a Marxist, nobody on our staff is those things. Uh, let, me, let me go to this one. I believe in personal responsibility and systemic injustice. I believe that you have some say over your life. 
And if you work hard, there are good things that happen. I, I believe that. With my, I feel like I'm a product of it. And I also believe in systemic injustice. And when I say systemic injustice, I don't think that there are six uber billionaire, trillionaire white guys that are screwing thing, everything up for black, brown, and, and, and other colored people. Systemic injustice is what's born when sinful people build scaffolding to make the world work. I don't know how you can't get here theologically. Like if sinful men are building sinful systems, or you've got to say sinful men don't build sinful systems. That sinful men build beautiful systems that never need to be reformed. Surely you don't believe that. I can't imagine that you believe that and, and then you still want reform in these other areas of life. The, the constant refrain that I'm being too political when I talk about race, but not a peep of that nonsense when I preach on life and being against abortion and we send a few hundred people to D.C. to march, that's not political. But let me just read this passage out of Galatians and all of a sudden I'm being political? No, no, no. Now, the one thing, we'll, we'll stop this real quick. Because I, again, just because of YouTube, I don't want this to go on too long without some sort of inter interjection here. Um, so what I think what he, he seems to be calling people to is a consistency of, of saying, specifically the example he just used was, um, if you're going to applaud me for talking about abortion, you should also applaud for the, the idea of, you know, you know, calling out racism or calling out inconsistencies, at least within systems that could be considered racist. Um, so he's calling for a consistency. Now, here's the thing. And uh, for consistency's sake, what I've said before applies to this as well. Um, a pastor's job is to get up to open the word of God and to preach the word of God. Now, Maybe Chandler felt like he had to address these things. Um, apparently, he felt like he had to address these things. But we're, we're, he spends about 10 minutes interjecting some sort of personal defense here, which I think is unhelpful to what's happening, right? So um, if you're getting called things, you're getting called things, all right? If, if, um, if, if, if some blogs have been wrote about you or some Twitter feeds have been wrote about you, um, I don't think he cares so much about those. He seems to be much more impacted by the people in his church leaving, um, which I mean, for pastors, that is, that can get pretty personal, especially if these people have been with you for a really long time and then they split over, uh, you know, this thing, um, it can hurt. It can hurt a lot. So, um, I get why I think he's probably, he seems very emotionally attached to this, which is fine. Um, but if we're looking at consistency, like, would it, wouldn't it be better to just address these from, from the text that he, you know, from the text he's using or from text within the Bible again to, like I've said in previous sermon reviews, like, so who cares, <laughs> who cares about what you have to say about anything, anchor it to the word, anchor it to the Bible. So the people go away going, okay, this is what the Bible says about this thing, uh, these are the, if there is some sort of, um, you know, gray area or nuance to it that was explained out well. I just don't know if the 10 minutes of defense here is helpful to unpacking the text uh, and explaining the issues that he's trying to explain here. I think the time probably would have been much better spent by just looking at the passage in Galatians that he's talking about uh, or just skipping past all of that and getting into uh, into the the sermon that he's about to get into where he he looks at Peter and Paul and what you know that interaction and you know what from the text that they read at the beginning of the sermon I just don't know if it's entirely helpful for a pastor whether it be Chandler or anybody uh, to give up to get up and get, give a personal defense now people will be like well Paul gave personal defenses to himself I mean Galatians was a per was the whole book is basically a personal defense about how 
um, he is preaching the true gospel and everybody else is preaching that uh, the Judaizers are wrong. Um, I think that's a totally different situation. Uh, he's defending his apostleship. He's defending his authority. Um, that's a whole different ball game than defending some people that have said things about you, whether they be true or not. Right. So if somebody called you, for example, a Marxist or a socialist, who cares? Just preach the sermon and let it be uh, founded on the word of God and just like I'm not saying don't take things personally, but like where do you address them and how do you address them? I think um, that it just is that the place is the Sunday morning gathering where you're opening the word and exegetically going through the word. Is that the place to do it? No, personal responsibility and systemic injustice. Um, let me do this. I also believe that there are pieces of critical race theory that are helpful for us understanding this moment. The ideology as a whole is a terrible God and demonic in origin. If, and this is what I mean about all this stuff goes both ways, it should inform us in one sense, but in another sense it goes too far. Like if you wanna to try to argue to me that only white people can be racist, I think you've left the world of reality. Like I, for you to try to argue that there's some sort of people group out there that doesn't struggle with a particular sin. I mean, at this point, man, you're off the rails. Gosh, you're, you're gone, gone, not gone, gone, gone. Now, likewise, because I know some of you like that, but likewise, if we pretend that there's no such thing as ethnic superiority that breaks into our worldview masquerading as truth, then we must reject much of what scripture shows us on this subject. Now, I have never felt like I was battling you. I have felt like I was fighting for you, for us, for what God's going to do in our day, for what God is accomplishing in all this messy moment. And here's the good news. The good news is that the gospel of Jesus Christ has created a straight path for us. It is the gospel that heals, the gospel that works, and so we must keep it at the forefront of our hopes. The issue here isn't justification, it's sanctification. So let me get my premise out there Okay, so what he is, well, I'm sorry, let him finish and then I'll... You know exactly where I'm going, you don't have to guess. You know, here's my only, I've got one point, only one point. The work of ethnic harmony is the painful work of progressive sanctification. That's it, that's my only point, all right? That, the work of ethnic harmony is the painful work of progressive sanctification. So let's talk about that. I'm saying this isn't a justification issue, that Christ has already made this possible for you and I. It is his gift to us as his people for the glory of his name and our joy. This isn't justification, it's sanctification. And so... So basically what he's saying, in case you don't understand the terms justification and sanctification, he's saying that um, this whole situation of different ethnicities trying to live together uh, for the glory of the gospel. So if we're, regardless of what ethnicity you are, if you're a believer, right, us working together, working this out, it's not a, it's not a salvific issue of, you know, you're, you're not saved or not saved based upon you trying to work through this. Uh, that's already been taken care of. That's what he's talking about with the justification thing. Jesus died on the cross in your place for your sins, rose in defeat of sin and death. And when you believe in him, you are justified, right? So it's not your salvation is not hinging on this point. It's sanctification in the sense that um, the Holy Spirit is working in you to make you more like Jesus. And through that process, there are going to be things worked out of you and into you. In this particular case, he's talking about, you know, how you work with other ethnicities, how you view things. Uh, all of that comes from the process of sanctification, which takes time. So basically, he's starting off his point here by saying that this is not a salvation issue here, right? Um, salvation is found only in uh, in Christ through grace, through faith in Jesus Christ alone. Um, so this whole thing here is really just uh, the Holy Spirit, as if we're believers, is the Holy Spirit working in us to make us more like Jesus. And that can be a painful process as all of us are coming from different backgrounds, different things have happened to us, and we're all trying to work out this thing together with the lenses of the Bible. Um, and it's going to be a little difficult.
And so if I'm using terms you're unfamiliar with, justification means God has given it to you freely in an instant. If you're a Christian, there was a moment, not a process, well, probably a process before, but there's this moment in which you are justified that the creator God of the universe looks at you and says, past, present, and future, fully, freely, forever, forgiven. Done. It is finished. It's done. So that, that's how, if you're a Christian, that's your, you were justified. But sanctification... Sanctification is the progressive movement of the Spirit of God along with us to shape us and mold us more and more and more into the image and work of Jesus Christ. And it's painful and messy, and God help us slow. And listen to me, we're going to see today, some of us, I don't know where we're getting it, we think progressive sanctification is like a straight line up and to the right. That, that hadn't been your experience, I don't know why you think that. Hadn't been mine, hadn't been, anybody, hadn't been anybody's in the Bibles. Progressive sanctification doesn't work like this, it's like... I mean, it's just a mess. That's why we should be generous to one another, because this little moment in your life doesn't define your life. Look at me. This little moment in your life doesn't define your life. It's just this little moment. Our boy Saul knew that as he became Paul. Our boy Peter learns it 40 times. Now, with that said, I want to dive into the story. Um, the work of ethnic harmony is the painful work of progressive sanctification. Now, here's the thing, and I'll just say this one more time. I think if you cut out Chandler's 10-minute defense slash rant uh, about you know himself and the leaders of the church and everything they've been called— you cut that out and you just go from the reading of Galatians into his point on ethnic harmony is the process of sanctification. That sermon, this sermon flows a whole lot better. Like it's, it's all grounded in the Bible. It's all about how we work that out. Uh, the Holy Spirit working that out in us. And it's not this defense back at people calling you names because rather who cares, right? Um, now there are some things here that we'll look at here in a minute, but I'm saying for anybody, right? Anybody that uh, pastors or has a platform or says something that people don't like, like when it comes down to it, uh, we're hoping that you've thought about this, you've prayed about this, what you're going to say. And there obviously are going to be people to push back about against you. That's fine. Approach that in a way uh, that you have a defense to defend yourself with the Bible and not just with your opinion. So I don't know if that was entirely necessary, that 10 minutes. But now he's moving into the sermon part where his point is ethnic harmony is the process of sanctification. Uh, I, I love the story in Acts 10. Um, Peter taking a nap on the roof there in Joppa, looking out at the sea, and he has a vision from the Lord. We're talking about, I'd love, me, I'd love me a vision from the Lord. He's got a vision from the Lord, and here's what happens. Um, a blanket comes down from heaven, and right in the middle of it is a bacon sandwich. And the aroma is in the air. And I don't know about you, but if I wake up in the morning and I smell coffee and bacon, I believe that the presence of the Lord is in our home. And, and so Peter, like, oh my gosh, what is that? I've never smelled that before. That's bacon, bro. And, and then in the vision, look this up. I ain't making this up. This is Acts 10. All right, it's not a bacon sandwich, but it, it kind of is. And, and then an angel says to Peter, rise, kill, and eat. In this blanket was everything the Jews considered unclean to touch or to eat. And, and the angel says to Peter, hey, kill and eat. But man, Peter's made so many mistakes. He's blown it so many times. Anybody else? I mean, he thought he heard the Lord only to get rebuked so often that he's like, not this time. And so he said, I mean, come on, like, he's got this bit, he's like, kill and eat. He's like, ah, nice try, angel. I have never touched what's unclean. I will never. I mean, how many times this brother got to say never to the Lord and fail? What, like two months ago? He's like, I would never betray you. And she's like, bro, you ain't got six hours, so three times, right? But Peter can't help himself, man. He's just built a kind of way, and we should be grateful for how he's built. I see myself all the time, like, thank you for this moron, because it helps me believe that you got space for this moron. And, and so he, he gets up, but he doesn't touch anything, because there's a knock at the door. And he runs down, and he opens the door, and here's this runner sent from Cornelius, who is a captain in the, uh, of the Italian cohort, right? So, so now this, this commander in the Italian cohort, you need to hear their non-Jew. So here's the thing. Um... This is good context-wise as far as understanding how the uh, early church um, uh, would have read this or understood this or heard this, depending on how it came to them, um, because these things aren't put in by accident, 
right? So when we're reading things within scripture, there are, it's not an accident that, um, you know, his name was mentioned, what his title was, his ethnicity, like all of these things are important. Um, and I think sometimes to Chandler's point, um, we read over them and we miss them. But again, this is part of exegetical work. This is part of contextual work of where, you know, what is the context we're working in? Who are these people that are interacting together? So uh, he's, he's making a good point here when he's saying, hey, these things should pop out at us because these things to us may not sound like a big deal, but in their day, this was a huge thing. So, I mean, again, this is good exegetical work in the sense of saying, hey, you need to, certain words here need to, you know, hit a little bit different. Also had a visitation from an angel in his prayers. And the angel said, go to Simon at Joppa's house. There you'll find Peter and, and tell Peter to come with you, right? So you got these two visions. Neither one of them know exactly what's going on right now, but Peter has this vision. So he's like, let's go, let's do it. And he follows this runner for Cornelius to Cornelius' house. Now we're gonna pick up the story in Acts 10, 28 through 29. Here's what it says. And Peter said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or visit anyone from another nation. Now look at this, is huge. Anytime you see the word nation in the Bible, it is not talking about nation states. The, the word is ethnos. It's talking about ethnicities. Like think about how difficult it would be to read about nation states when those lines are redrawn almost every day in the world. No, this is about ethnicity. This is about peoples. This is about people groups. And so he says, Peter says, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked them why you sent for me. And so there's Cornelius. He's like, well, I was praying. I had this vision of an angel sent me to get you. So Peter didn't know what to do except preach the book. So he preaches the gospel to him. And here's what happens. Now, I'm still waiting for this moment as a preacher. While Peter was still saying these things, brother didn't even give him an invitation. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. And then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ and ask him to remain for some days. Now, this thing, this little thing right here in Acts 10 is bigger than, than most of us can get. If you know the narrative arc of scripture, so I'm not trying to scare you off of stuff. Uh, the narrative arc of scripture simply means this. There's one story that the Bible's telling. 66 different books telling one story. Did you know that? So, so it's all, it's one big story. Genesis to Revelation telling the story and that story ain't about us. Now we're in it, but it ain't about us. And, and so here, what's just happened is, is after sin enters the world and, and fractures the cosmos, God comes to a man named Abram and says to him that through you, people of Israel is what it's gonna become, the Jews. I'm gonna bless all the families on the earth. And then from Genesis 12 to this moment, we're waiting. We're just waiting. And what just happened here? The first fruits of the Abrahamic covenant have just started. Okay, so um, he skipped a bit ahead because Pentecost, I mean, he skipped over that a little bit. But the idea here is that um, he, he's connecting, and this is a good thing that he's doing. He's connecting the Old Testament promises to the New Testament fulfillment, right? So that it's what he, what he points back to with the Abrahamic covenant is this amazing thing that gets fulfilled in the New Testament because of Jesus. Um, it's this connection that really uh, should be made a lot more often than it is. I think there's lots of times that we just unfortunately ignore the Old Testament, but there's so much rich connection there to what's happening within the New Testament. But that's a whole different <laughs> that's a whole different video. Uh, but what he does here is good, is that he's connecting the two things together where he's saying, look, when this promise was made that you would bless the whole nations, it was going to be through Jesus and everybody like it was. Abraham had no clue what that meant. Apparently, um, the modern day religious leaders, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they had no clue what that meant. Uh, the disciples didn't even have a clue what that meant. Um, 
it was really God just having to remind and remind and remind and do things like Pentecost and uh, things like this uh, that that were opening up the eyes of the disciples and say, hey, this is much bigger uh, than what you thought it was. Um, and, and what he said here again, too, about, you know, things that need to pop out that like this is much bigger than we realize it is because it is the Gentiles being saved, which is something that that they didn't think that could happen. Um, there's a lot of history there. Uh, like you mentioned before, there's just a lot of this animosity. Um, this is something big. And again, I think we read over it a lot, but I think what Chandler's doing here, and this is what I do appreciate about his preaching is that he, he's leaning into it and he's saying, he's exegeting and saying, Hey, look at, look at the wording here. Look at what's being said. Um, so let's get to it. Not only that, but the tower of Babel, if you know your Bible is beginning to be undone. Because the people of God just went from an all-Jewish monotheistic religion to being transformed to people from every tribe, tongue, and nation on earth participating. This is, this is what's happening in this passage. This isn't some weird just jot over to hang out with Cornelius. This is the kingdom of God breaking through in first fruits power. This is the fulfillment of every refrain you've ever read in the Old Testament. They talk about the nations coming, the nations being glad, the nations moving towards God, the nations being a part of what God was doing in Jerusalem. Not the physical space Jerusalem, but the spiritual new Jerusalem that God's building from every tribe, tongue, and nation on earth. Now, why does this matter? Because we're in Dallas. That's why it matters. Because it came and got us. Because it came and drew us up and doing it one for us first. Right? I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the apostle Paul writes. For it is the power of God unto salvation, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. And what we see here is the undoing of Babel, the first fruit of the Abrahamic covenant. And Peter's a hero here, right? I mean, for all the mistakes he, Peter makes, he took some significant risks. In fact, he's got to go back to Jerusalem and argue this now. Because the Jews were not happy that the Gentiles became Christian. In fact, in true human form, they want to call to a vote. I love this part of the story. They're like, can God save the Gentiles? Let's vote on it. And then God was up there going, oh gosh, I hope I win this one. <laughs> You think he was going to be stayed in any possible way by the vote of man of what we were or weren't going to do? And so you've got this Jerusalem council that's going to argue this out, and God's just giggling the whole time. You know, he argued out. And all Peter said was, look, man, I preached the gospel. People got filled with the ghost. That's all I did. And so from this moment, it just starts to move through the ancient world. And if there was ever a brother, if there was ever a brother that was going to drift back towards ethnic superiority, if there was ever a brother that wasn't going to slowly but surely, I don't believe intentionally, by the plurality structure that he was dwelling in, be reconformed out of this image and back into his crusty, tight, ethnic superiority one. It's Peter, right? So the one thing here that I have seen that, again, I haven't listened to Chandler in a long time, but one of the things that I am seeing uh, language-wise is he's using plurality, plurality structure instead of just saying, hey, it's, you know, sin. The, the sin's drawing him back, like, right? His selfishness is drawing him back in. So I, I understand that he's using this word because that's the, the verbiage that he's using, but I think it can be... <clears throat> Not dangerous. Well, maybe dangerous. It, it can be troubling in the fact that we're not pointing back to the real cause here, right? So there's still something in Peter that's causing him to view the Gentiles differently. Or what he's about to get into, where Paul actually has to confront Peter, is that there is still some prejudice in him. There's some still fear of man in him. And, and what that comes down to is selfishness and sin. Not again, you could you could psychology, you could sociology and psychology, psychology, sorry, and use things like plurality structure. But really, when it comes down to it, like that's just a fancy name for he's still selfish and sinful. Um, so I don't think it's it's entirely wrong to use that terminology, but I think it's unhelpful in the sense of what we're actually talking about here is that there's still something that the Holy Spirit's working in in Peter with in the sense that he. He can still, he still shows preference to people. So that's, uh, again, that's just something I'm picking out. Again, these sermon reviews are to, to get us to say, hey, what should we be listening for? What verbiage is helpful? What verbiage is not helpful? Um, and for me, that verbiage, I think, is 
not entirely helpful in the sense that we could use other more biblical terms to help us uh, again with those lenses uh, to see to see what's going on. I mean, you would think. I mean, you think if you had a moment like this, vision, bacon, Holy Ghost falls, Italian cohort, household saved, first fruit of the Abrahamic covenant, Tower of Babel undone. That's a good day, man. I mean, I haven't been in ministry a long time. That's a day. And yet, the pull of the human heart, if not held in check by the word of God and the Holy Spirit, will always go back to its own vomit. Galatians 2, this is our text, 11. This is a devastating text. And I am taking way too long. But oh, I am. I didn't say I was doing anything about it. I'm just saying I'm aware. (laughs) Let's go, verse 11. But when Cephas came to Antioch, that's Peter, that's our boy. I opposed him to his face. Who did Paul do? Because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, but when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? Now, I want to pull a couple of things here. Do you remember us reading about Antioch just two weeks ago? Antioch is this diverse, both culturally and ethnically, church. It becomes the focal point of Paul's missionary journeys that sees the Roman Empire ultimately turned upside down. It worships and prays and fasts. And if ever there was a man and ever if there was a church, that it's the churches in Galatia. So the story is Peter rolls into the churches at Galatia and he wants to encourage them. And so he gets there and so he's sitting with the Gentiles and he's eating their food and they're rejoicing and laughing and, and talking about the kingdom of God. The kind of persecution they were under would have been so heavy that the joy they would have had in one another would be hard for us to imagine what's being assaulted is our preferences. And then all of a sudden these boys roll in from Jerusalem. They're hardliners demanding that the Gentiles become Jews before they can become Christians. And our boy Peter, who's a part of this epic, unbelievable thing in a church that had embraced by the gift of God's grace a diverse, multicultural, multi-ethnic expression of the kingdom of God. And Peter shrinks back in fear. The text is clear. He was afraid of them. He was afraid. I get being afraid. I do. I, anyone who tells me they're not afraid of being afraid, I chalk up as greater fear than normal fear. Really, I mean, you can giggle, but isn't that true? Like, I ain't worried about that. I think you're more worried about that than normal people. And Peter was afraid. Afraid of his reputation. We, we don't know what he's afraid of. He was afraid. And he shrank back, and so was the deceit of this moment. And I love the passage that says that even Barnabas was led astray. Barnabas! Do you remember Barnabas? Like, like Barnabas sold his land and gave it to the apostles. Barnabas saw Saul become Paul. Barnabas, son of encouragement. Barnabas, the human golden retriever that already had a, always have a word of encouragement for you. Like every time you saw Barnabas, his whole body would wag and he'd be like, man, I was praying for you this morning. God's got a call on your life. You can do it, brother Barnabas. Even he got confused. Even he got sucked away. And so now this sharp division, straight down ethnic lines at the church in Antioch. Gosh, so here, let me, let me get here and I need to move to application. So here's the, the, the important thing to get from that, right? is that I want you to see that um, this is a confusing sermon in the sense that he had to, he defended himself for a long time. But here, this is this is solid. Like, this is solid that he, he said, hey, exegetically, this is what's going on. Contextually, this is what's going on. Hey, do you remember when we talked about Antioch? Well, here, that like that church there, this, you know, this is what we're talking about now and how, how it's kind of shifted. Like, so what he's just showing is that contextually, to get us in the headspace of what's happening in this moment that we're reading about, uh, and, and everything that kind of came about to set that up um, so that we can kind of feel the tension of that situation so that we can feel the, the honest tension of the text so we're not reading into it, but rather understanding it contextually. This is good. This is very important to do. And I think this is one of the things that, um, 
that the pastors, again, we've talked about this in a lot of the other sermon reviews, need to do more of, right? It, unpack that text in the sense that you can just, like, so when, when uh, he had that member before read that text, and then she was done and she walked off stage, we can go, okay, we understand that, right? We heard it, we understand what's going on. But it's different when it's unpacked in this manner, when he's, when he's explaining it in the sense that, hey, you know, Barnabas, this is what the text says about Barnabas in other places. So when Barnabas is mentioned as also being led astray, like this is the thing that you should be thinking about, that he's, he's you know, described this way. And that's the big deal of why Barnabas was even led astray, right? Uh, also, like talking about Peter's fear, what that looked like, you know, in that situation, who he was afraid of, what he was afraid of. The whole point of unpacking that exegetically is so that when we read that text in Galatians, we understand that, like, this is the scenario that was happening. Now, we also, I think, what would have been a good idea to do, but of course, time-wise, he might not have had the time to do it, was to explain the fact that before all of this, when he was writing the Galatians, he's talked about the other Gospels, about how, how he's just shocked that they've turned away from the Gospel of Christ to these other Gospels, and then he works into chapter 2, demonstrating kind of what that looks like, what what happens uh, whenever, you know, you, you, you're inconsistent, whenever you, you do fear the Judaizers, right, in this particular context. So um, I, I think this is great, this is important, this is something we can really learn from and take from, is that unpacking this exegetically, contextually to understand, man, this scenario was tense, not just, not just the tension we lead on, read on top of it, like just reading through it going, wow, you know, Paul confronted Peter, but in the sense that like there was a lot of moving parts here and that makes it all the more real for us to understand like how important this situation was for why Paul felt like he needed to call Peter out. Um, so anyway, all that to say like this, this is good stuff that we can learn from and what we should be looking for in a sermon. Look at me, please. If this can happen to them, how arrogant are we to think it's not happening to us? If this can happen to Peter, right? It, it can't happen to you or me. If this can happen to Barnabas, golden retriever Barnabas, this can't happen to you. This can happen at Antioch. Can this not happen at the village? I think you'd be really hard-pressed, brothers or sisters, to, to say that we shouldn't be on our guard here. Now, remember my premise. Remember my premise, which is the work of ethnic harmony is the hard work of progressive sanctification. So um, here's what we're going to do, uh, even about this subject. Here, here's the posture. Here's the movement. Here's what we're to do in light of these realities. We are to embrace progressive sanctification around ethnic harmony in the same way as we embrace it everywhere else. So sanctification, regardless of the subject, works the same kind of way. And, and here's the movement. We learn, we lament, and we live. It's a circle. Learn, live, lament. That is the process of sanctification in every arena of your life. Everything God wants, it requires us to be made aware lament or be convicted where we have fallen short, and then from that learning lament actually begin to live out. And so let, let's talk, learn. Let me give you the textbook on how we think rightly about ethnicity. It's here, right? Here's why. I'm not saying, hey, go read The Warmth of Other Suns. It's a great book. I think you should, but it ain't our foundation. I, I, I mean, I could just list for you right now all sorts of resources I love, but I want you in the book. And here's what I want you to pay attention to. Every time you see the word nation, your ears should perk up. Every time you see the word Gentile, your ears should perk up. Every time you, you, you see these phrases. When Jesus uses the illustration of Samaritans, I mean, that is so offensive. It is so offensive to his audience. Like, I'd have coached this brother not to touch that. I would have done to him what people have done to me. I'm like, Jesus, man, we're trying to build a movement here, bro. You can't be saying like the good Samaritan. Like, how, how would it land today? I was like, let me tell you the parable of the good socialist. How's it going to play? You going to stay at the church? You going to email me a little something? You going to wait for me in the parking lot? When you see these three terms, when you're reading the book, I'm, I'm trying to give you lenses by which to study your Bible. When you see the word nations, it's ethnos. It is people groups. When you see the word Gentile, you need to pay attention. That's addressing ethnicity. 
And, and ultimately, when you see the word Samaritan, I want you to see what Jesus is championing in the moment, how he's confronting the Jews. And then from there, from that. Okay, so I think for the majority of that, that was good. Now, I don't know who wrote The Warmth of Other Sons. I have no clue who the author is. Um, obviously, it has to do with ethnicity and race and all of those sorts of things. Um, and I'm assuming it's from different perspectives because The Warmth of Other Sons kind of leans into that idea a bit. I could be wrong, but that's just going to be my assumption. Now, the one thing, and I'll say this. Um, I'll say this before we get too far, much farther into his sermon here, because he's going to mention some stuff here in a minute that I think is problematic. But uh, I don't know who the author of that book is. But I think as a pastor, one of the things we're going to say now, again, it's 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 encouraging that he said, hey, the Bible is what we view everything through. Right. That's how we view ethnicity. That's how we view how we react to one another. That's how we view uh, all of it. Now. I would have put and I again, I don't know. But the caveat would be that, hey, uh, if you're going to read books on ethnicity from people that are not Christians, that is likely not incredibly helpful, right? I'm not saying don't do it, but I think as a pastor, the caveat would be, look, understand that the worldview of somebody outside of Christianity is going to be vastly different than your worldview. So when you, when you do that, if you're going to do that, which... Again, it's, it probably will be helpful, right? So you can understand like where, like how they're thinking. But the idea is when you do that, you, you have the Bible again. You have the Bible in one hand and that book in the other hand saying, okay, this is what the Bible says. Where does it come in conflict with what they're saying? And it's going to come in conflict a lot of places probably with what they're saying because a worldview outside of Christianity is not going to process, as he said at the very beginning of the sermon, seven minutes in, that Christians are going to process this whole thing differently than those outside of Christianity. So if you're viewing, uh, if you're dealing with books from people that are not Christian, so for example, um, forget the author's name, but White Fragility, right? Um, that book is not written by a Christian. So we have to say, okay, how helpful is this really for us? Again, it's not, it's not saying that you don't read it. It's just saying that you have to process it against the word of God saying that the word of God is an authority over everything. So whatever the word of God says, I'm going to do versus what this book says, I'm reading purely to say, okay, well, how does uh, 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 somebody outside of the Christian worldview view this situation and then say, okay, this is how I can defend uh, the Christian worldview against this sort of worldview, because obviously it's, it's, a, it's opposed to, it's outside of, it's not going to have the same conclusions or the same outcome or the same goal. Um, so that's, that's one of the things. And I don't know again who the author of that book is, but I think if, as a pastor, if we're going to get up in front of people and say, Hey, you should read these other things. There should be this caveat a little bit that says, Hey, just understand that you're going to, you're, you're processing this differently and if he's going to stand up and say, hey, we process everything through the Bible, that's great. Um, but we have to understand that, hey, when you're processing this other book, you're processing it with the lenses of the Bible on first. Because if you're not careful, right, if you and I, I know that you'd be like, well, this is a slippery, slippery slope argument. Well, whatever. Um, if you're not careful, it's very easy to say, hey, this book, you know, it's it's touching on a lot of good points. There are going to be cross sections with books that are written by non-Christians that are going to cross paths at points with biblical truths. But we have to be discerning enough. We have to be in the word enough to understand where things cross paths, right? 
where God has given general grace and general revelation, right? So we know in Romans, for example, Paul writes that God has revealed himself to creation. So we're not totally blind to who he is or what he, you know, how he reacts or what his justice is. But it also says in those same verses that, you know, there are people that have turned their back on him and have went their own way and decided to do things their own way. So, yeah, there's going to be things that cross paths with with books written by people outside of uh, Christianity that that are similar in as far as like they, they use similar words or some of the things are parallel in points to what the Bible says. But we have to be understanding enough and discerning enough to say, OK, well, they, they come close here, but we, we you know, we come to different outcomes and just recognize that. Because it's very easy to read a book and say, I, I, you know, this makes a lot of sense. And then not hold it up against the word of God and just assume that that's fact, right? That's all. I mean, I know it's a long roundabout way to say that, but um, I think that would be an important caveat that he does not, by the way, mention. That being your foundation, I would just encourage you to seek out uh, other things to read that'll stretch you. Man, I'm trying to get as broad as I can on things. And, and so, man, I, I'm trying to read two or three books a year, not always African-Americans, uh, Latinos, Asians. Like, like, I'm just trying to read from different perspectives and different... And here's what I'm going to tell you. The two or three, two, three, four books that I read a year, they're in this kind of vein and maybe some documentaries I watch. It is a rare thing for me to 100% agree with everything that's there. There is no skin tone in the universe that has just abject lockdown on the truth. That's why this is the foundation. Because the color of your skin doesn't mean you're right means you might have a perspective that I don't understand I need to dig into. So, so and here's where I'm coming from. Like I, the, the two men most responsible for my conservative theology are African bishops, Augustine and Athanasius. Like nobody has shaped me quite like those two men have shaped me. They're African bishops. And so if I'm reading your stuff and you start talking to me uh, about um, kind of rescuing um, evangelicalism from colonialism, I mean, I've got some issues. With, like I need to understand what you're talking about. Like what do you mean that evangelicalism has been um, you know, co-opted uh, by, by whiteness? Maybe there's something there. I don't, just, I don't like it. But then here's what I do. When I read that, I don't understand what to mean. I, I don't want to be quick to go, oh, this guy's a bigot. Oh, this guy's a Marxist. So this guy's just, what I want to do is go, what is going on here? Because I don't like this. I don't understand it. And, and so what I want to do, I don't know if, if you're picking up that I, my default is passionate. I don't know if you're watching me and going, I bet you that guy meditates. I bet you that guy, when he feels something deeply, he just stops, centers himself, and then moves on from there. I'm not built like that. So when I come across something that I think is a lie, when I come across something that I think is damaging to the kingdom, when, when I come across something that I think is nonsensical, my, my impulse is never, let's meditate. Okay, I know that this, out of everything in this sermon, may be a small point to you. Um, it's a bit odd to me that he mentions meditating three times. Now, I don't know. Maybe you don't have the same friends that I have. Uh, I'm sure you don't. But um, everybody that I know that, right, my, that are my friends or acquaintances, when they mention meditation, they are specifically mentioning meditation in relation to, um, even if it's like a loose connection, to some sort of positive thought, new age. Some of them are talking specifically about crystals and meditation and like really, really new age. Some of the people I know that talk about meditation uh, are talking a lot more about positive thinking and things like that. It's just odd to me that he mentions meditate and not pray. Like that, that for me, when I'm listening to this sermon, uh, that, that made my ears perk up a bit when I'm saying, what do you, why, why is he mentioning meditation? Because I know, again, some people are like, wow, you're just latching on to everything. Now, I'm just saying that in my circle of people that I know, when meditation is mentioned, it is specifically connected to some sort of spirituality, like some very loose, generalized spirituality, uh, or like new age, like hardcore, we use crystals and all that sort of stuff, right? There's not, I mean, on that spectrum, that's where meditation falls. So um, when I hear that, I go, that's concerning for a pastor to mention that. And instead of mentioning prayer, 
which would have been a lot would have made a lot more sense in this scenario i may be overshooting but when i heard that i was like what is he talking about um anyway that that was i know that's totally off of kind of the 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 the, the, the direction we're going here um but that one of the that was that just really made me think again you may when you think about meditation it may have no connection to that whatsoever but when i hear that that is the first thing i think of but what i've had to discipline myself to do is not throw people in categories but try to figure out what might be there and few things have made as big a difference in my life as that simple movement don't throw them in this category yet now listen i'm gonna be clear sometimes i've done the work and they have been in that category and then it is what it is but i've done everything i can to wring from that what might be true this is learning Right here's the other two. Okay, and then here's another thing I need to mention because he's talking about not putting people in categories. Um, this is where I see sort of inconsistency uh, a lot of the times in not not necessarily Matt in particular because I don't know Matt. I haven't listened to a lot of sermons from him for at least a year, other than the couple clips that I am going to try to link in the description below. But the idea here is that lots of times we we don't want to put people in categories that. Um, that, that we ourselves might be thrown into, but we're more than happy to throw other people in categories that we have no fear of being thrown into, right? So um, using specifically some people I know, um, they would be very hesitant to say, you know, I don't want to throw somebody in the category of, you know, social justice warrior or progressive Christian, but they're more than quick, like lickety split quick to throw people in categories of like Christian nationalism or Trumpism, and then the opposite goes the same way. So there's people I know that are uh, very like political and they would be very slow to throw themselves in a category of Christian nationalism or Trumpism, but they would be very quick to throw people in the category of, of progressive Christianity or social justice war. So I think sometimes we really have to watch ourselves on this. And I think just from the, the few things that I've seen about Chandler leading up to watching this sermon, I think he falls into this too in the sense that he'd be very slow to throw some people into categories, but then he'd be very quick to throw some other people into categories. It just, it all depends on your preference here. And I think we all have to be very careful on that because we're, we are more than happy to throw people into categories that we don't like. And then we're very hesitant to put ourselves or the people we, you know, our friends into categories because why? Well, we know you, we don't want to categorize you, but we're more than happy to throw these other people into categories. Um, and I think it happens on both sides. And it just needs to be one of those things where we don't, we're, 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 we're quick to listen, slow to react. But I think sometimes when the emotionalism of whatever is happening, particular in this sermon, like, you know, ethnicity and stuff gets in, I mean, we just, I mean, there's some people that will pounce immediately and they show no restraint whatsoever, um, which I think is, is problematic, especially if you're in a position of being a pastor or uh, a leader of some kind, if you don't have that restraint, um, I don't know. That, that's problematic. Two things. I mean, I, I pay attention to your emotions. I just want to keep saying this to you. Your emotions are the check engine light on your soul. Like, you need to go, why does this make me so angry? Why is this so confusing? What's going on in me that this bothers me so badly? Anybody get so disoriented about your own frustration? I'm sure what's actually underneath all of it. I mean, I have, like, I've been just so I'm like, what is this? I don't even understand why I'm so angry. Right? This can happen. And then the, the last thing I want to say on this is if you can, and this is so risky, if you can, by the grace of God, find a safe place to process this, that's so helpful. It's dangerous, and it's worth the danger. What I mean by that is I know I have thought I was in a safe space before and learned it wasn't safe at all and had that stuff weaponized on me later. This is a possibility. I'm just saying it's worth it. Move slow, be careful, be cautious, but be willing. We can't get up this hill without some risk.
We can't get up this hill without some risk. Now, what happens is we learn, right? And, and then when we learn, when things land on us, we, we lament those things. Like we talked about this last week. Lament is that thing that God gave us that disperses some of our anger, frustration, confusion, rage. When we come to God and we go, I don't like it, or this is bothering me, or, I'm angry and I don't know why, or I don't know what to do about this. It just takes a little bit of air out. It takes some of it off of us and it places it on the shoulders that can carry it. Look at me. You can't carry everything you're trying to carry. There's a kind of anger that'll devour your soul, keep you in bondage, and stop you from walking in the freedom that belongs to the children of God. So that means I'm consistently trying to get off of me and get onto the Lord what I'm not meant to carry. If I've got to love my enemies, but I better be traveling light. Hey, if I have to love my enemies, I better be traveling light. So I need to be constantly going, take this from me. I don't want this. I want joy and life and you and your presence and your goodness. In fact, one of the reasons I'm constantly trying to get us to pray together is because when you pray together, not just in your room, but when you'll, you'll, you'll get in there and you'll pray together, God gives you one heart. So we learn we lament, and then that finally moves us to live. Progressive sanctification leads to a life transformed. We live out of both our learning and lamenting. Now, here's how I think this looks at the local church level. There's mutual submission. Okay, so there's one thing I need you to, like, look at. Um, and this is different than the, the, the sermons that um, I'm familiar with with Chandler. I don't know if this is his new style or not. If it is, I don't know if it's incredibly helpful, but... I, I want you to see that a lot of the other, if you want to, if you've, if you've listened to a lot of the sermon reviews before this, um, you'll, you'll kind of connect to this a bit more. If this is your first one, you're not going to quite get what I'm saying. So you, if you have time, go listen to the other ones. But um, this sermon isn't incredibly helpful because we're not actually like we spent a, a good, a good couple minutes there exegetically, uh, exegetically working through the text, looking at context, looking at what that meant, looking how uh, that process, you know, was for the, for Peter uh, and Paul in that situation. What, and we, we looked at actually a good portion of kind of leading up to, you know, Peter and his whole process leading up to the moment where Paul confronted him. Like all of that was really, really good. And we could have moved in, and I don't know why Chandler doesn't do that. We could have moved into application for us based on what we saw there, biblically, using that scripture as, as a saying, hey, look what can happen. What I mean, he does point to that a bit. I don't know if you remember. He did point to that a bit. Like, if that can happen to them, that can happen to us. So how do we process this through? And I think... He, he lost it there when he could have said, hey, instead of going off into some other tangent when he said, hey, we are, you know, the Bible is what we base all of this on. And then using text to anchor us to that as far as uh, how God uses justice, what he demands of his people in regards to justice, like anchoring that in the word and then processing us through that saying, hey, these are the biblical lenses that we use. So when we come in situations such as what we see here with Peter and Paul and this this fear and this fear of man and this fear of uh, others and us pulling back into, uh, you know, to being around people just like us because, you know, we don't want to, you know, because of the fear of man and what that looks like. Like he could have pressed into that a bit. Uh, and again, much better communicator than I am. Like I've said on almost all of these guys that we review, I'm not saying he's not a good communicator. Obviously, he's a very good communicator. Um, but I feel like we lost it there. And we've had sort of this this good, you know, start, we started off good. We went into like his 10 minute uh, defense of himself. Then we came back to the scripture and we looked at, we looked at how, you know, uh, God, you know, works through Peter and shows Peter some things. And then we got to the point where Paul confronts Peter. We talked about that. We did a great job. He did a great job of kind of exegetically looking at that, uh, pointing us back to the Bible. And now we're back to this point where it's just kind of like, 
we've abandoned the text that we had before. We're not even really connected to that text anymore. So it's kind of, it's like, what are we doing? Like, it's this roller coaster of good. What is this? Oh, this is good. What is this? Um, I'm not sure like if this is his, his typical preaching style now. Um, and maybe it's just been a really long time since I heard a Chandler sermon. Um, but I don't, I don't, I don't know if this is incredibly helpful right now. Um, and then we we're ending, we're about to end in a place that I think is, um, well here, let's listen to it. Submission and celebration. There's listening and lamenting together and being shaped into the new people that Jesus died for. So learning, lamenting, and living is an ongoing process that will need to happen over and over and over again in all areas of our life. But if you and I are going to climb this particular hill at this particular time, we will need to give one another the benefit of the doubt. We will have to fight off these categories of just dismissal. And we will need to lean into the things that might bother us that we might not understand. Now, let me, maybe you're saying to yourself, I hate this subject. I don't know why, but it always bothers me. Um, a house with a broken foundation wreaks havoc on the home. The doors don't shut right. The windows might close, not close all the way. The, the very sacred Texas air conditioning might seep out, allowing the Texas heat into our homes. Cracks begin to appear on the wall. Rolling occurs on the floor. All sorts of issues come. Now, here's the interesting thing. My in-laws are here. They're realtors. And if you're a realtor, you could speak to this. Almost 100% of the time, people living in the home when the foundational cracks appear weren't the ones that laid the foundation. But it's still their home. I don't think we laid this foundation. But this is our home. And if we would see the cracks healed and the floor smoothed and the door shut and the windows aligned, we will have to own the fact that the foundation is cracked. At some point, I'd love to get in some of the history of this stuff with you because it is just so convicting and so convincing and so heartbreaking. But I've got okay, so he, he's using the analogy here, and I think you've picked it up, but in case you didn't, he's talking about the fact, uh, and he's, he's, I think he's being vague about it. Maybe you don't feel like he's being vague about it because I don't know like the direction he's going here, if he's talking about the church in particular or society in particular. Because he doesn't actually define. He's just talking about the foundation was built, it's broken, and now whether we want to, you know, whether we like it or not, we didn't build a foundation, but we live in this house. Which what he's saying is that there are things that are broken in society in regards to ethnicity or race, whatever, however he wants to define it. And though you didn't build those foundations, you now live on those foundations, so now you're going to have to fix those foundations. Now, for me, the outcome is different for what he, like how we deal with it, whether it be the church or whether it be society, because that's different. Uh, if it's the church, then we call all, we, we can call people to what the scripture says. Again, those biblical lenses, what he said before and when he held up the Bible and says, this is how we view, you know, this is how we view things. These are the, uh, all the way back at the beginning of the sermon where he said, hey, the, we're a different kind of people. So if he's talking about the church, which he doesn't define, I mean, he could be, uh, let's assume that that's what he's talking about. Then at that point, uh, if you're saying that this is broken, so you, you need to get specific then. Now, he does say there's a lot of history he'd like to get into it. Obviously, it's more than he can finish here in the next five minutes uh, and the sermon ends. But the idea here is that if that's what you're saying, then that the foundation of the church is broken because there's some ethnicity uh, issues. There's some things in the church's past that, you know, have caused issues now. OK, well, that's fine. But we need to call people back to the Bible then. Again, this is where I think it would have been very helpful to go into uh, into scripture about how God uh, deals with justice and reconciliation and how God deals with his people being what he said, you know, multi-ethnic, multi-generational people uh, and, and diving more into that anchoring in scripture rather than going off on whatever tangent he went off on there. Um, so if that's what he's talking about, then call people back to the word. 
uh, and call people back to the text and submitting to the authority and all of that stuff is submitting to the authority of the Bible. Great. If you're talking about society, that's a whole different thing. Like you're not going to be um, like, that's going to be more difficult because society, again, like I said before, with books being written by people outside of the church that don't have a Christian worldview, they're going to process things differently. Like their outcome is different than your outcome. Um, like that's their goal. Their goal is different than your goal. So that's going to be a bit more difficult. So if that's what you're talking about, then that's a whole different ball game. So let's assume he's talking about the church. So what does that mean then? Well, that means we call people back to scripture, right? That's where church discipline comes into the picture, right? That's where we, we say, hey, this is what the word says. Do you submit to it? Or do you not submit to it? If you're a Christian, that you're called to submit to the word, right? Um, and and if, when you do that, it handles issues of, you know, of, of showing preference to some people and not the other. We have great examples, right? The, the, the account that he just read of how we're supposed to deal with those situations, what we do when we see those situations. Um, so you call people back to the word. Now let's see what he does though. But I've got to save that for another day. In my spirit, in my gut, I can see where we're going. I'm going to shine like a bright light in a really, really, really dark and crummy world. And we're going to suffer with joy. That's Revelation. Revelation is going to shock you. Because it's like, hey, you know what obedience is? Death and suffering. Congratulations. And the church in America is not ready for that. And here we are on the cusp of some things. And all I'm trying to do is go, come with me. And I know we're not all going to make it up the hill. I know we're not. I know our enemy is so strong. His schemes are so good. He's so good at what he does. But I want to invite you to come with me. I want to invite you to come with us. Something amazing is going to happen. And I don't want you to miss it. I don't want you to miss it for the comfort of homogeny. We will look very different 10 years from now, just like we look very different now than we did 10 years ago. You'll have to consider the cost, weigh it out. But, but, and, and here, listen, if you email me this week, please do. I'm not trying to do this so you don't. But, but let's have a biblical conversation about it. And, and if you can, as best you can, don't put words in my mouth. Like, you know, you said, you know, I don't know why you feel guilty about being white. Well, I don't remember that part of the sermon. I honestly, I, I just embrace all this. Just English whiteness. And I don't, what, I mean, I'm just who I am. Why would I hate who I am? God's made me who I am. Let's just, if, if you've got questions, I'm not trying to shut you down. Here's my appeal. I'm not trying to shut you down. I'm not a Marxist. I'm not a socialist. I, I, I'm not worshiping the demonic ideology of critical race theory, but I'm not throwing the whole thing out because there, there's some pieces there that might be able to help us. I'm guessing you think that way when you go to the doctor. So I'm not trying to So I think that, so <laughs> we'll just throw this in, right? Because this is, this is one of the clips that I saw that, you know, is on Twitter. Um, I don't know if this is, is a very helpful comparison because critical race theory is a, a worldview, whereas your doctor, you know, using medical science helping you is one of, it, it, these are two different things. Um, in my opinion, obviously Chandler sees that differently. You might see that differently, but I see these as two different things. When you're saying, hey, my doctor helps me with this or that, um, okay, but what you're saying is, you know, you may not agree totally with your doctor, but he can help you on some in some regards. Well, yes um, and no, right? So there's certain things that he's going to maybe prescribe me something that he thinks is helpful, but really isn't incredibly helpful. But he's operating out of, you know, a medical degree that is helpful, you know, in many regards, but might prescribe me something that um, actually adversely affects me. Okay. 
Um, so if you're using that scenario, let's go to the logical conclusion. Like, yeah, he's helpful, but he might not be ultimately helpful. Just like I've had the conversation with people before, like, yeah, critical race theory, there are parts of it that are, that you can say, hey, these intersect with the Bible as far as, uh, you know, uh, how, how you treat, you should treat all people um, in, in a way that, and again, we don't have time to get into critical race theory, but there are parts of it that you can go, okay, this is, this is sort of helpful, but you don't need critical race theory to actually see um, that part is helpful, right? If you, do, you can look at history and you can look at um, things that have happened, not, hey, let's just look at biblical history, like church history, and you can see the same things that critical race theory is pointing to. So you don't actually even need that. You can just say, hey, look, guess what? Sin is sin. And what happens is sin distorts our views of things. It, 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 it makes us uh, prefer and show preference to other people over other people, right? It, it, it does infect what we do and how we act. And without Jesus and without uh, understanding his life, death, resurrection coming again, without understanding how God judges rightly, how he's laid out uh, for that to happen, right? We're going to view things wrong. Without the Holy Spirit uh, in us sanctifying us, we're going to view things wrong. Um, so it's not that we say, hey, you know, this system was set up by somebody that isn't, you know, isn't a Christian, so it's not helpful. We just go, you know, I don't think it's ultimately helpful. I think the Bible does give us uh, everything that we need in order to operate in, uh, in, a, in a godly way. Now, is it going to give you exact, like, you know, you need this job? No, but it's going to tell you, you know, how, how to pursue that job, what jobs, you know, there are certain jobs that, you know, you can say, Hey, biblically, that probably isn't a great job. Uh, so, you know, it does give you, uh, general ideas of what you should and should not do. Um, so no, I think if, if you had to say, Hey, do I pick, uh, do I pick scripture, uh, over, uh, any theory, any any worldview, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna pick scripture over any other worldview, uh, because um, scripture is going to speak to the things that this worldview speaks to, and um, I think it's gonna do a better job at it. It's gonna be much more general, but it's gonna speak much better to them. Um, so anyway, um, that that's that that was problematic. Uh, and I know it's problematic to some other people. That's which, now, again, I wouldn't jump as far to call him a social justice warrior. I just think that um, there's some things that he's incorporating that I just don't find helpful. And I'm not going to listen to him because I don't think that, um, that I just don't think that's helpful. Trying to shut you down. If you've got questions and concerns, we want to feel those. We want to answer those. We do not think we're on the slippery slope of progressive liberalism. But where the Bible presses on these things, we're going to press on these things. And where the God of the Bible calls us to obedience, we're going to, as best we can, walk in obedience. And it's uncomfortable and, and can be bothersome, and it's the good hard work of progressive sanctification. I love you. I really do. I, I never want to offend uh, for offense sake. If the book does it, that, that's the book. Let me pray for us, and we'll sing. Okay, so he prays. It's over. Um, so the overall feeling of this sermon, which I think I've already mentioned, but just to recap real quick, I think there were some really good places here that we saw um, good context, good exegetical work really pressing in so that we could feel the tension of the text and what was going on in the text. And then there's other places that I think it was just kind of unhelpful altogether. Like it, uh, I, again, I don't know if this is how he, it's been a, probably at least a year since I've heard of uh, Matt Chandler's sermon all the way through. Uh, but I don't think it was incredibly helpful because, like I said before, it was a roller coaster. We started off really good, and then we went into like a 10 minutes defense of, our, of himself, the staff, and then we came back to a place where we actually came back to Scripture. 
And we looked at scripture, we looked at the life of Peter, then we looked at, uh, you know, Peter and Paul and uh, really dug into that tension. And then we went back out of that into something in comparison completely different. And then there was a couple points here. So what he said, you know, if the text presses it, we're going to need to press in on it. Uh, if the scripture tells us to obey, we're going to obey. And those are great things. But when they're layered with, I also think there's some good things we can learn over here. Now, again, as I said before, should you read uh, other books that, um, that are speaking on the subject? I think you should read them to educate yourself. For example, I follow a lot of accounts on Instagram that I disagree with, but I follow them so that I can at least kind of understand their worldview. So there's people that I follow that are atheists and I purposely follow them because they're atheists. Why? Because I kind of, I want to see how they're viewing situations. I want to, I want to see what questions they're asking so that I can develop a better apologetic in when I'm having conversations with people similar to them. Uh, I follow a lot of accounts that are deconstruction accounts, right? Of progressive Christians or Christians that have just completely deconstructed or people that have completely deconstructed out of Christianity. And I want to know how they're addressing things, how they're processing uh, certain events, like what led them to deconstruct so that once again, I can understand that a bit better. And in that same regard, uh, should we read books uh, written by people that it, whether within Christianity or outside of Christianity that deal with the topic of ethnicity and race, I think we should. We should be very cautious about everybody and anything we read um, because we don't know what lenses they're viewing this through. We don't know their motivation in writing that. But we're going to say, and again, we're going to bring everything back to Scripture. Is this based in Scripture or is this very loosely based in Scripture, right? This is, again, this is the same concept we're applying to these sermon reviews. Like, okay, so... Are they using scripture rightly? Are they exegetically working through this correctly? Is the context right? Is the, is the historicity of it right? Are they reading something on top of this text? This is the whole, we need to do this with everything, not just sermons. So we should read those books for sure if we have time. But the whole time we're doing it, we're holding up against and saying, okay, well, this is what the Bible says. This is what they say. Does it line up or does it not line up? And if it doesn't, at least now we say, okay, well, these are the arguments presented from these people. And now we have a better apologetic to address those particular um, topics and issues that they're bringing up. So now that we can say, okay, well, this is what they said, and this was their defense for it, but this is what the Bible says, and this is how I combat that, and this is how I answer that, because I don't think it's biblical, so I need to have a defense for that. Or... Maybe by the grace of God, we read it. And we go, this is really good. This lines up really well. This was this was very helpful in explaining um, this topic better because it does connect back to scripture. And now we can use that again to develop a good apologetic to defend against things that aren't biblical. So um, overall, I, oh, I, I'll tell you going into it, I, 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 uh, I was a little nostalgic in the sense that I remember listening to a lot of Chandler in college. I am a bit concerned uh, about some of the things he said here. I wouldn't throw and I'm very hesitant to throw anybody into categories, uh, but I can definitely see some some word usages here that I'm a bit concerned about. It'll be interesting to see, again, like he said, the next five, 10 years, kind of the trajectory he's on to see, you know, kind of where he lands. Um, but I'm very hesitant to throw him in a category. Um, like with anybody, uh, I would say when you listen to them, 
Listen to it with biblical ears, right? This is why I would encourage you. You need to be part of a local church, a biblical body of believers that exegetically uh, and expositionally works through the word of God so that you're aware of what this Bible says. So when somebody gets up and talks to you about whether it be uh, ethnicity or any other issue, the, the word of God is already in your brain and the Holy Spirit can call it up in you so you can go, but that's not what the scripture says, or that is exactly what the scripture says. And you can rejoice in the preaching of the word, or you can say, mm, and you can, you know, ask questions and, you know, biblically defend points. So uh, hopefully this was helpful. This was a really weird sermon review for me to do because it was so up and down and I'm trying to, I'm trying to approach it <laughs> without the lenses of nostalgia and the fact that I used to listen to Chandler all the time. Uh, I'm trying to help that not get in the way of doing this sermon review. So I'm hopefully, if this was a dumpster fire, I apologize. It was not meant to be. Uh, hopefully this was helpful. Um, I do want to thank you guys for all the comments, the DMs, everything you get from these sermon reviews. It's very helpful. All that feedback, um, is very helpful in kind of, you know, how I go about addressing these uh, sermon reviews and the things that I point out, the things I you know, kind of push, in, push into. Um, so thank you for those. Thank you guys for following, liking, subscribing, sharing, doing all the cool things you do. I really, really appreciate it. We'll talk to you later.